Pridecast episode four. I'm Danielle Dupuy, your host, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. If you listened to Rainbow Pridecast episode one, you already know a little about Howard County sophomore Uma Ribeiro. Today, Uma Ribeiro and I interview Montgomery County sophomore Uma Fox, a student at Richard Montgomery High School who is a fierce advocate for the LGBTQ community. That's right. Both Umas are high school sophomores with a similar mission. During our episode, we learned that the Umas have more in common than we realized. Keep listening to learn how Uma Fox is making waves in Montgomery County to create positive changes for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, welcome and thanks for joining us today, Uma. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so we heard about you um, through some articles in the paper um, in Bethesda Magazine, actually, which mentioned that you're helping develop an LGBTQ plus inclusive curriculum. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely, yeah. So for the past couple of years, LGBTQ plus students in Montgomery County have been looking for more ways to make the curriculum more inclusive and reflective of the diversity of our student population. And so there's been a lot of student activism about both racial inclusion, ability inclusion and LGBTQ plus inclusion in our history curriculum, our English curriculum, and our electives curriculum. So this year we were able to really push for an effort to have an elective LGBTQ plus studies course that would be almost similar to the content of a college course you would take on gender studies or LGBTQ plus studies so that you would look at things like culture, LGBTQ plus history, arts critique, current activism, etc. And so that ended up getting passed and it made Montgomery County the first school district in the nation to have a standardized LGBTQ plus curriculum for its students. And oh. so we're continuing to work on that and we're continuing to have that be something going on in the future that we're adding to the work of and we're looking and reviewing both the documents of and the suggested syllabus. And then we're also hoping that some of the aspects in this course trickle down to our other history and literature classes to make our general course list also more LGBTQ plus inclusive. That's um, so cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was looking at it from a student perspective and the pilot course mentioned um, in the article, it looks so exciting and interesting. I would love to take the classes where I could study LGBT history and art and sociology, current events and more also. Um, t- um, tell me a bit about how you develop the ideas for the curriculum. So I think it was a good effort. Uh, we saw that we had LGBTQ plus teachers who had ideas. We had support staff at MCPS who have worked in curriculum development for a long time with their ideas on it. And I think students also are some of the best resources in terms of this kind of curriculum development because they have a very close connection to knowing what they want to see and knowing what their fellow peers would want to learn about. And we also have so many students who, because our curriculums continue to not have a lot of LGBTQ plus inclusion, have taken their own initiative to go and research on their own about different LGBTQ plus issues in a lot of depth. So a lot of the biggest ideas for this course and even its layout came from student perspectives of what they found interesting. And they thought there was a lot of discussion about whether or not it should just be a history course because there's just so much LGBTQ plus history to cover in one semester. But then students also believe that it should be something where it's a more comprehensive thing. It's very holistic. And so there also needs to be inclusion of arts or inclusion of culture or more understanding of how you yourself can become a better advocate. So I would actually credit students from for being a lot of the reasons that we have a more holistic course today. That's so awesome um, that it's really student-centered, student-driven. Um, 
and is this typical for creating courses in Montgomery County or is this just like a, a bunch of students um, kind of voice the, their concerns and their interest and it made it happen? It really depends on the course. It normally takes a lot longer than it did for these kind of courses to get passed or put their, for them to get money put in the budget for. I know there's been lots of electives proposed over the years that have taken months or years when this probably took about two months in terms of lobbying and consideration. So there was definite community support and MCPS support. And then I would say this one is a little bit more student inclusive because we normally see, especially with more general courses that aren't electives, it's a much bigger and longer process. It normally involves more groups and especially buying from other curriculum developers. So mm -hmm. I've sat on boards that have helped look at English curriculums for inclusion and about buying an entirely new English curriculum for grades six to eight. And so that's definitely a process that's a lot longer. It definitely has less student involvement because it's definitely more about having teachers and MCPS experts weigh the benefits and the um, disadvantages of these courses. But because of kind of the grassroots nature of this specific course and its elective nature, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of great opportunities for student flexibility and also student activism within it. So how, about how many students are involved in um, contributing ideas to this so project? We had a couple meetings with a set of about 10 MCPS teachers who are all LGBTQ plus and helping to write the course. And there are probably about seven to 10 students as well. So it's a fairly equal number. And so we will all come to meetings, we'll give our opinions, we're considered and treated as equals at the table in terms of decisions. And then we also have the ability to look over all the syllabus materials and give our own feedback. And so the curriculum, I guess, got approved, when was it back in? Um, October or so, I think. Yeah, the, the, just this past school year. And when will the classes begin? So this is exciting. It's supposed to begin spring 2021. And the way it worked and the way we've decided what schools will pilot, it was based on schools volunteering to do so. And so we have 10 pools, which is much larger than any other number of normal pilot courses. Normally it's about two or three schools, but 10 schools have requested that they could take the, take the course of the pilot in spring 2021. Oh, wow. That is, that is so awesome. Um, and then are students able, so I know in uh, at our school that students are able to start registering for classes now for next year. Mm -hmm. So is that process already started where students are able to register for the, for the class? So MCPS does their process in January to February. So if students have registered for the course, it was back then. And so it's already was on all the course list at that time. It was listed as a course and it's going to continue being one. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, um, <clears throat> do you know how many students have uh, approximately signed up for the course already? I can't necessarily give you a number estimate, but because normally for a school to be able to put the course on its register, it has to have enough interest in it to be able to do so. So that can be anywhere <laughs> from 15 to 30 students. So with that understanding, even just from a minimum there, if there's 15 students in the class, 10 schools are doing it, about 150 kids. And That's then awesome. there's also been a lot of kids who have come up to me and come up to me um, during me LGBTQ plus advocacy meetings and have said that my school doesn't offer it, but I still want them to. And so we already have a lot of other teachers and a lot of other students who want to find a way for it to be part of their school as well in 2021 to 2022. That's fantastic. Um, what advice would you give to others your age who want to get into activism and advocacy, but don't know where to begin? 
I think my number one thing is that you need to recognize that you deserve to be where you are. So whether you're speaking to decision makers, whether you're speaking in forms of testimony, whether you're organizing students, you deserve to be there. I think a lot of students who do activism, myself included in the past, suffer from imposter syndromes and that they don't think that their activism is either valid enough or that they truly are able to be the community leader that they want to be. And so I think the biggest thing is that you need to remember that your message is necessary and that your message is important and deserves to be heard by other people. Oh, I love that advice. Um, I'm someone who also is very interested in activism and definitely um, imposter syndrome is a problem. So that's great advice. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just had a question. Uh, so Uma, before uh, we kind of started the recording of this session, we were chit-chatting a little bit about kind of future plans and what have you. And you mentioned that you're going to be, um, you're going to be moving this summer yes. to Hong Kong, you said? Yes. So yeah, so this winter I was accepted as um, a Davis scholar to United World College and um, Lipo Chun United World College in Hong Kong. So the United World College movement is a set of 17 different schools around the world who have about 80 students, I mean, 80 different countries represented at each of their campuses. And all the students there take international baccalaureate together um, and do community advocacy as a group. That is so cool. No, right? Isn't that amazing? Congratulations on that. That's really awesome. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Um, so how long, how long is the program? Two years. So Two years. it wow. was for 12th grade, yes. That is awesome. So now will you be able to, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a bummer because you're not going to be able to see the fruits of your labor um, with the yeah. course coming to, to the school next year and you're not going to oh, yeah. be there. <laughs> That's the one kind of the one irony of it all is that right when this stuff started to get completed, I ended up leaving. And so I think there's a lot of things I never will fully get to see pan out, but I'm also excited to pass on a lot of the work to other people who've definitely been waiting for a long time and have some great skills, both in terms of the organization I founded, MoCo Pride, which is our county's association of LGBTQ plus students. And so I'm excited to pass on that work and let people kind of reinvent their own priorities for it as well. And then I'm also excited to see students take this course. Hopefully I'll maybe come back in the summer and be able to sit in on a lesson or two, but we'll have to see. Oh yeah, that, that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, now, how did you get involved in advocacy? Because it seems like you have, um, you know, you're going to this awesome school next year that um, focuses on advocacy and then, um, you had already been visited uh, India um, before through a program. Oh wow! Um, really? How did? You... Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, Roma. Do you want to tell her your history a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom is from India, um, and my dad's Brazilian, but I've never been to India. Um, my mom came here. My mom has, was like raised in this country, so I've never been. But that's really awesome, and like that's actually where my name derives from is like from a goddess. <laughs> Um, an Indian wow. goddess. That's actually so funny and so coincidental. My mom's also Indian. Um, oh, so wow. From my, my family is, I'm half Punjabi Sikh, half American. Oh, and my so gosh. That's my so cool. India and then grew up in the U.S., in Kansas, Louisiana. And her experience and the experience of my family being both an ethnic minority and 
a very small religious minority in terms of Sikhism in the U.S. really yeah. prompted me to understand the importance of highlighting marginalized communities' experiences. Definitely. And so I started a lot of my advocacy work in racial justice with, I know like Howard County did this, um, boundary changes are a big issue in Montgomery County right now, just mm -hmm. as they were in Howard County. And so both in my ninth grade year and continuing now, I've done a lot of work with making sure that we continue to see racial equity and that we make sure that things like boundary analyses get passed and get changed for the purpose of racial equity. And so that was a big priority of mine. I did a little work with that in middle school, but not anything super substantial. And then I also was super interested in international activism. I would read about interesting aspects of international relations and different parts of especially how diverse India is and how yeah. much I wanted to also cover because it has a very specific experience of diversity. And so I applied to be a student with the National Security Language Initiative, which is a program run by the State Department that gives full merit scholarships to travel and learn the language of a country for two months. So I was awarded that and I went and lived in South India for two months and I learned Hindi there as well. Oh my gosh, that's so cool that you know Hindi. Wow. Um, I'm so happy I got to I got to meet you today, even though, you know, it can't be in person. But um, yeah, that's just really awesome that your mom is also from India. My my mom's side of the family is from Bombay, that area. So they speak Gujarati, they speak Hindi. Um, but the majority of my family who's that, that are from India live here now. And so like they most all most all of them speak English. Um, but my dad's side of the family is just all like Portuguese and I just completely understand um, where you're coming from. Like that's where my passion for, you know, racial justice also stems is, you know, my background. And so that's just really cool. Yeah, I definitely think um, biracial and multi-ethnic students have a very interesting perspective on racial equity. Um, yeah. it, it is a lot of our identity and what it is to even just exist in the world, just how we orient ourselves from the get-go. And so it definitely is something I always carry with me. And it's a perspective that's hard not to forget for me. Yeah, me too. I feel like it's just everywhere, you know, when you're mixed. Um, it's just there from a young age. Yeah. Well, that's just, and that's so really cool. <laughs> like, it's so, it's so cute to hear you guys talk. Like, oh, the are together. So I'm just, uh, I'm just curious because, you kind of transitioned your focus from, uh, and I'm sure you're probably still focused on that as well, but racial injustice to kind of um, lifting up the LGBTQ plus community. What, what um, caused the shift? So I think it was a realization as I was going through my freshman year that there were a lot of great student advocacy services and support. So we have things in Montgomery County like our student union, which is encompasses a lot of issues and a lot of student advocacy. It's over a hundred students. I do work with them as well. But, and so that was general student advocacy. We have programs like the Minority Scholars Program that have opportunities for racial justice advocacy by youth. We have opportunities for disability advocacy. And so all these different groups were getting their seat at the table, but there wasn't any formalized way for LGBTQ plus students to both create advocacy community from a young age and also have direct opportunities for LGBTQ plus activism. So you might see that maybe the student union would dabble in it for a little. They might support a state bill about LGBTQ plus protection, but often the people who were speaking on that bill weren't LGBTQ plus themselves, 
mm-hmm. or didn't see it as something that needed to be focused on beyond that bill. So I wanted to create an organization that would give a formalized seat at the table to students and have a formalized opportunity for decision makers to connect themselves with LGBTQ plus perspectives. So my organization, Moco Pride, has done a lot of work doing just that and making sure there are ways for different departments of MCPS to change their equity and listen specifically to the experiences of LGBTQ plus students and understand more about how they can make their own policies more anti-bias. That is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm so impressed that, you know, that you kind of spearheaded that and stood up. And I think you bring about a valid point in that a lot of times um, people who are making decisions um, that are in a place to make decisions don't necessarily identify with different groups. Um, So they don't, it's not really on the forefront um, of discussion or consideration. Um, so I'm really proud of you for stepping up and doing that for the whole community, you know, cause I think you're, you're paving the way for others to um, contribute and make changes too. So, um, so thank you for that, Uma. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that's another part of what I've always really wanted to contribute to the local LGBTQ community is an opportunity for empowerment and that, I'm hoping I'll be able to teach younger youth advocacy skills and activism skills. One of the big parts of this year for me has been meeting with GSA leaders, especially middle school GSA leaders, and having local pride help them and train them in advocacy skills. Because oftentimes we see that GSAs are a great way for students to come together for community. And I think they hold a lot of potential to also be community-based and small-scale advocacy groups. And so a lot of the work I've also done is just providing younger students with the resources to become kind of self-empowered. And that's a very important part of this for me. You mentioned um, GSAs, and I was wondering, uh, you're, you've talked a lot about kind of putting together curriculum for having a, you know, a specific class, which, by the way, what's the class going to be called? LGBTQ plus studies. LGBTQ plus studies. I like it. Um, simple, direct to the point. <laughs> um, but what do you have any ideas for, let's say, like GSAs that are meeting and getting together and kind of like uh, different focal points or things like that that could be discussed? Because um, as, as, as an advisor for our um, GSA, which we call Saga Club, uh, Sexuality and Gender Alliance, um, you know, sometimes it's the students don't necessarily uh, have topics they want to bring up or discuss. And it would be kind of fun I think to have like a almost like a a GSA guided curriculum of you know topics even just for like the Maryland area if we wanted to focus on something in Maryland specific of um, things to discuss or ways to take action Um, just curious yeah definitely I think it's always interesting because I've seen such a range of GSAs in Montgomery County Uh, you have GSAs that are hyper committed they meet every week they do something other with, like, they meet with their principal often to discuss about the needs of LGBTQ plus students. They do a book club every month. They nail it. And then we also have GSAs where students might not have as many advocacy resources or might have wanted to found a GSA but don't know what to do after. And so it might be that you get together once a month and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's good too. And so I think there's such a mix of things that are necessary and needed that GSAs have to encompass a lot. And so I definitely would be 
in support of something like a curriculum. Because I think we, there's definitely a social aspect to it. There's an advocacy as- aspect. There's an educational aspect, like any club. And so I think for me, one of the best things is that I've seen is GSAs, SAGAs, QSUs who discuss LGBTQ plus history in their area. Mm-hmm. So I've seen some specifically do presentations or lessons on different ways the DC area LGBTQ plus community has worked in the past and what its history is. Because we often have students who know a lot about Stonewall or they know a lot about San Francisco and its LGBTQ culture, but not a lot about how much DC has to offer or how much DC has a history of this. And so that's always interesting, for um, I think. And then I've also seen GSAs work together on artistic projects. I know Richard Montgomery's GSA is was going to do a mural of different LGBTQ plus icons in one of our school hallways. So I think that's a great exercise. Some kind of um, some form of either artistic selection or artistic shows is both a great way to channel student creativity and also help students learn more and get skills mm-hmm. that pair them with authorities in their school and administrators in their school. And so that creates a lasting connection if there ever are LGBTQ plus student needs that need to be addressed by administrators. It teaches students how to advocate for a project. And then it's also something that's creative and a fun opportunity for students to show off their own artistic skills. I think, yeah, that's awesome. Um, You'll have to let us know when you get that uh, mural up and things. I mean, I know you'll be away, but... We'll see. um, I definitely will try to also. I don't know what's going to happen with it yet, if it's still going to be a thing next year because we'll have a change in our GSA leadership, but we will see. I hope so. Um, I think what uh, I did have one question that I read in the um, Bethesda Magazine article because um, with the um, school board here in Howard County, I know things can take a while um, and are interesting. So I was just wondering if, you know, when you guys are trying to get the curriculum going, if anyone, you know, like was encouraging your school board members to approve the curriculum? Yeah, I think a lot of it, it's been a long time coming where I know even as of last year, uh, we were having an LGBTQ club forum at Wooten High School in MCBS. And students there who are part of the group Wooten Student Activists, one of their advocacy clubs, talked with one of MCPS's members about the importance of an LGBTQ plus studies curriculum. And so that was when we kind of saw these first seeds growing and it was all student-based. And then groups like MCCPTA, Montgomery County students, um, our regional SGA, they got behind it as well. I actually helped get one of the resolutions passed in our student government association to give their support for an LGBTQ plus studies curriculum when it was still being considered. And so a lot of student-based activism and parent-based activism and teacher-based advocacy as well helped get the course passed. Okay, um, what are your plans for after high school? And do you plan on continuing LGBTQ plus advocacy? That's a great question. I think I'm, it's still up in the air. I mean, I'm still pretty young. I know I want to go to college. I know I want to get a law degree. I think I want to do international law um, with a specific focus on helping post-colonial countries rewrite their legal system to be more representative of their indigenous populations. Or awesome. And that definitely is something that kind of inherently includes LGBTQ plus populations. We see that one of the, uh, in the post-colonial world, there were so many countries that pre-colonialism were very LGBTQ plus supportive, India for one, and their legal systems were colonized and essentially turned against LGBTQ plus support. 
So one of the things I really want to help with is making sure that policy in both developing and post-colonial countries can be LGBTQ plus and indigenous inclusive. That is just incredibly fantastic. So as I'm listening to you speak and, you know, it's kind of unreal that we're talking to somebody that is a sophomore in high school. Um, you just have such a wealth of knowledge. You have had so much involvement. I mean, you got so many things going for you. What, when you think back, like hit the rewind button, what, um, kind of led you on this path? Like it's, it's very unusual, I think, to talk to high school students that know that have this like path in mind and they're so, you're so driven Um, what do you, where do you, where does that drive come from? I think for me, it's from two things. Number one, my family. Uh, I grew up with a very big family, a very passionate family, both immediate and extended. And I think that was definitely a space where justice was prioritized and truth was prioritized and confrontation about equity and talking about equity in passionate ways was something that was encouraged. And so I think just from seeing that as a young child, it really had an impression on me, especially because so many members of my family work have worked in equity or have worked in religious studies or have worked um, in doing social justice work in the past or care deeply about social justice work. So mm-hmm. that was one part. I think the other part I always attribute, um, both for LGBTQ plus justice and racial justice, is that I went to an elementary school that was incredibly diverse and had students from such a variety of backgrounds, both first-generation American, um, mixed-race, like a lot of mixed-race students like me, but a lot of different perspectives. And I think that for me as a child was very eye-opening to see just the variety of experiences there are both in even just my local area and also the need, as I grew up, I understood also that the even the inequities present at that young age that set different people apart, even in that small school environment. And I think as I started to realize that, that these people who I had been peers with were often either just disenfranchised by the system we were all living in, I think that was a big eye-opener as well that made me really driven to fix that. Gosh, I mean, I mean, I just, I if I, if I could high-five you right now, I would. Um, yeah, me too. Like virtual fist bump. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Uma, thank you so much for joining us today and keep doing what you're doing. Um, I cannot wait to hear what you're up to in a couple years. Uh, well, even next year, even next week, I feel like you got like stuff going on like left and right. And, um, you know, I'm so glad that you are a voice for our community out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. It's so exciting to see more LGBTQ plus podcasts, especially ones about the local community. That's, it's really great. It's a really great thing. featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.